Hello, we have an extra special episode today, Carl. I'm so excited. We have our dear friend, Max Boise here, and we are going to take a deep dive into the cultural phenomenon known as Hamilton. Oh, I thought you were going to say Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to our guest, Max Boise, about Hamilton. My daughter's favorite number was nonstop, by the way. Around minute 29, we'll talk about the secrets of Dumbledore. Around minute 41, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Around minute 46, Father Stew. Around minute 56, we'll talk Lynn's going to go see Singing in the Rain. Around minute 57, the passing of Gilbert Gottfried and Anne Pollock. Max is a first timer. And you, but we've all seen the movie. Yes. Which we'll discuss. But uh, uh, we were privileged to see it when it came to St. Louis in 2018. And a lot's happened since then. And Max was going to see it uh, when it was supposed to be here in 2020. So, Max, was it worth the wait? Oh, absolutely. It, it exceeded all of my expectations. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan anyway. And I, I heard some naysayers before I saw it in person saying, oh, you know, it's really hyped up. And it's not worth the hype, but they already had me in the palm of their hand because I love these songs. I, I'm enamored with the play, and I understand that it's kind of fashionable to be a hater right now when it comes to Hamilton, but I am not of that ilk. I thought it was extraordinary, especially seeing it in person. Well, I wish you could have seen it with better sound because luckily my daughter knew every single word, and that actually helped her because, you know, if people have known the soundtrack now for what nearly eight years so that something was wrong with the sound at the fox the music was way too hot they it drowned out some performers that couldn't handle more of the uh the big stage and it, it's weird because someone told me that they had a soft opening the night before because mm-hmm. they had so many people that had tickets from 2020 that they had to add an extra performance. So we didn't really see opening night. We saw second night. But we didn't see opening night the first go round in, in 2018. We saw the second night. A lot of time for the big shows, uh, such as Wicked, they will have not the first because at the Fox with sound sometimes. And I always think they're working out the kinks because it is a bigger stage. Uh, the tour is used to, uh, they have two touring companies. I believe this is called the Alexander Tour or the Philip. Is it the Philip Company? How, how I'm not sure. There's a, <laughs> a, there's an Angelica Company and a Philip Company. Anyway, we have the, we have the group uh, that was, has, um, they all had to take a break during the pandemic, but now they're back including St. Louis and Yvette Lou, She was in the ensemble the first go-round, and now she's back. She's a Parkway West High School graduate. And uh, when uh, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and his team, Tommy Kale and Alex Lacamoire, produced Fosse Verdon, she was one of the dancers in Fosse Verdon. So, yeah, so that's the local connection. But anyway, uh, I think because uh, people I was with, all ages, in fact, around my row, the older people were so happy that they had seen the movie on Disney Plus. And uh, my 
friend who went with me had not seen the movie and she said I'm gonna have to really go back and listen to all these songs because she was wondering if it was her being you know 68 years old if no uh, if she was having trouble hearing but then when you said you were having here and and I know those songs intimately I have the two cd sets and uh when I first saw it in 2018 we were so excited to finally get it because it was the uh 2016 Broadway sensation that was still getting $400 a ticket in New York. And uh, here we were, you know, getting it at the Fox. And I made sure that I knew it beforehand. And you guys did too. I know you did. So I think Max, that how did, more- how did you uh, how did you come up across the soundtrack? Oh, actually, that would be you, Mr. Carl, the intern middleman. This oh, was, I did that. Uh, yeah, this was in 2016, and all I had heard was that there was this young hotshot named Lynn manuel Miranda that had won a whole bunch of Tonys for something called In the Heights, but I wasn't really familiar with theater beyond the gigantic productions, you know, your Rent, your Cats, your Les Mis, your Miss Saigon, and so I didn't pay much attention to that, and when I first heard he was going to do something about the Founding Fathers, but with hip-hop, I remember thinking that's the worst idea I've ever heard. And this is going to be so, <laughs> so cringeworthy and so awful. And there was a day that Carl and I were carpooling to go do the Max and movie show because Carl and I have done that show together for a very long time and we will carpool sometimes. And so he picked me up and I remember we were hungry. I think we drove through a rallies of all places. It was crazy, but it was 2016. And he said, have you heard Hamilton yet? Because I, I burned you a couple of copies of the, of the CD, like the, the two CD set. And I, and I even said, I don't, I don't, you know, thank you. I don't really know if I want a copy. And the first thing that you put on for me, Carl, was Guns and Ships, which I think is cut nine. And from the moment that song started, I thought, I'm a fool. I'm wrong. And this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And so, yes, from that moment uh, in 2016, I became completely obsessed with the soundtrack, which is not a unique thing. I think the world, this was a pop culture moment. But yeah, I was one of those people. I became obsessive about this soundtrack. I also know every line of every song. And that did help with seeing it at at the Fox Theater because the sound mix was not the best. And so I was really able to kind of throw in some of those parts myself because I know that soundtrack. And it, it actually helped it actually helped the George Washington performance, I think, because his voice is so strong that he he actually cut through the yes. loud mix. But it also yeah, there hurt, were there were some people some like uh, it hurt Angelica. It kind of hurt uh, uh, some of Aaron Burr uh, until, you know, wait for it, obviously was a showstopper. But yeah, some of the more soft spoken performers. Also, when you are so intimately uh, it, uh, entrenched in this soundtrack, hearing someone else do these uh, performances is Which a little jarring because it's not the same as going to a new production of Rent or a new production of Les Mis because your singing style might be different. This is rap music. This is hip hop. And your flow is so important. And so it does take a couple songs to realize, oh, that's not David Diggs and that's not Lin-Manuel. Right. Well, this particular Hamilton, Pierre-Jean Gonzalez, He's got a fine voice, but when he did um, not throwing away my shots, he kept saying mock shots, which is different than how Lin-Manuel Miranda says it. So that took a while to get used to. But I think you cannot do enough homework on Hamilton. Uh, Sometimes when I go see a play, I want to be brand new to it. I want to experience it. I don't want to have this 
deep dive, but I think with Hamilton, if you've seen the Disney Plus movie, uh, you're a step ahead of the game. Now, granted, that original cast is lightning in a bottle. And I, I don't think how anybody can create I mean, people can create magic on screen, and there were some very fine performances and very strong voices. But I think that whole blend of that original cast is so potent that it does take you a while to get used to other people. It takes you a while to get used to, uh, like, for instance, David Diggs not being Lafayette and not being Thomas Jefferson, but the um, the the whole uniqueness of this show is not just when people say to me, oh, I don't like rap. I don't like hip hop. Um, this is so much more. It is so broad in scope and the staging of it is so unique that you, there are Broadway ballads. There are, there are R&B. There's the King George's songs are like 60s pop. You know, so I don't buy that about, oh, I'm not going to. And in fact, on the KTRS text uh, line yesterday, because Jennifer Bloom and Wendy Weiss had never seen it before, and I went on to talk to them about that, and they were blown away. And they had a texter say, this is not Broadway to me. Well. Oh, well, is. you're the only one, sir or madam. Yeah, well, it, it, it is Broadway because this is today when Lin-Manuel Miranda won the Tony for In the Heights. That was my first experience seeing him on the Tony Awards doing In the Heights. And it was so fresh and unique because nobody had put rap lyrics in in any Broadway show, you know. And so he became quite the toast of the town. And then... Uh, he did a musical called Bring It On. He did the lyrics to it, but I didn't realize he was one of the lyricists. So it was the Terrain show was on at the Fox. Mike Isaacson, the Muni executive director, he produced this show on Broadway. And so I'm sitting there listening to these lyrics and I'm like, this sounds like Lin-Manuel Miranda. And sure enough, there he is in the, in the, in the, you know, in the, program. so he does have a style and I think you recognize that style, but we're so used to him now that we've, we've gotten that rhythm, but how many Carl, when we saw the movie last year, you said how many, how many words a minute are in this? A lot. Yeah. Cause you were saying like, closed caption i tell everybody watch the movie with closed caption well you know i i don't it does not surprise me that there's people saying well this isn't broadway because there's rap elements and, and hip-hop elements because this happened back in the 80s when rock and roll really took uh, shape with uh, theater i mean there were a lot of you know jesus christ superstar and hair i mean there were all kinds of of broadway productions that weren't just stephen sondheim that they brought in a lot of rock and roll elements and a lot of the purists said well this you know this does not fit for broadway same thing with uh hamilton and you're right lynn there are a million different genres here there's girl groups there's 60s pop there's all kinds of stuff but i don't want to shy away from the influence that rap and hip-hop culture have in this uh play because it is paramount it's gigantic and but you know i'm also a lifelong fan of rap music so it does not rub me the wrong way to see that on stage at the Fox. I, I will say too, I've not been back to the Fox since the pandemic. And I know we all know as St. Louis is, it's a gorgeous theater, but man, is it a gorgeous theater. It felt so good to be back there. 
Yes, and uh, it was really nice to see all the young people there and all the different kinds of uh, uh, people there, you know, of different races and different creeds and different whatever, because Ham that's what Hamilton does. Uh, when they first introduced it off-Broadway at the public, they said, we're going to tell the story of America then with what America looks like now. And I know people are like, there's an Asian playing George Washington, you know? I mean, I know people are like that, but I think Lin-Manuel Miranda has broken, he's a game changer and he has broken so many barriers and he has created the, the feeling now, I don't even think twice of seeing somebody in a traditional role anymore that's not a, Anglo, a wasp, you know? Hmm. And, and I think that, that he's helped that at, at everything, but he is also, he's a student of Broadway and he is very influenced by Sondheim and others. Because if you notice the, um, the lyrics that he um, does, he has a little bit of Rodgers and Hammerstein, the carefully taught lyric in South Pacific about being racist, you know, about growing up racist, carefully taught, he throws that in there. And he has things, but just think of how young people learn history through this. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon. And, you know, for the last six years or so, people have been clamoring to see it. And now, thanks to Disney Plus, anyone can see it at any time. And that is a fantastic version. But if you see it live, um, you get the live theater experiences and you get to hear two more F-bombs than are actually in. Except I think they used the movie version. I think they didn't use the F-bombs that they I thought could the same thing, Carl. I, I think they might have used the Disney Plus version for this tour. I, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. There's a supposed they're supposed to curse there and they didn't i mean I, I didn't that's not what i was looking for but i'm like hey i wasn't sure about that but i really wish that the i don't know what it was about the music i i, I and everybody knows every single beat of this play like, like i said earlier my daughter sang every single word and i wish for someone that's coming in i i don't know if they're having the best experience to see this play if the music is not in i don't know if you bring the mics up on the vocals or if you i don't know if you can bring the music down i don't know how well, that you works. guys saw this back in 2018 was the mix a problem back then no and i saw it in the balcony like we said we all sat in uh, row q except for lynn who sat in row g yeah g wow theater uh -huh. and then <laughs> and then uh, but four years ago i saw it in the balcony because i the three of us went, my wife, daughter, myself, we all sat together up in the balcony and it sounded fantastic. Well, you know, um, I was, when I was, when I was going to, oh, Lynn, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, no, I was just going to tell you, uh, the first in 2018, there was so much demand for tickets that uh, our press seats were way in the back. We had to be used to that. Like, hey, you're not getting the primo seats. You're getting way in the back. But I heard it fine. But go ahead, Max. No, I was just going to say that when I was growing up going to theater shows at the Fox, 
any time we had a press ticket from my dad or what have you, we would grab the soundtrack and we would listen to it in the weeks leading up. Like we would know that we were going to go see Miss Saigon. So it's, let's listen to The Heat is on Saigon or we're going to go see Les Mis. So let's listen to 24601. And, and so uh, it, it does help to know these songs before seeing it live in person. I don't know how it would be if you weren't familiar at all with the uh, the songs or the play to really kind of take the story as it was presented, because you're right, the mix was not the best. Now, I will say it could have been a one-off night. Per, I mean, this is playing for a month at the Fox, so yes. hopefully they they figure this out. I mean, with all the matinees and what have you, and Carl, when you see it again, hopefully the mix will be better. I wish I was sitting next to you and Maggie, though, because I felt like I was annoying the people around me, because I was really into every song, like it was a rock show. I was banging my head around, and I was crying during all the ballads. Like, it was, it was an emotional experience for me. I, oh, burn! I still had a good time. Uh, yeah, the uh, the uptown tonight and burn are just if if you don't get emotionally attached to those songs. Uh, one of the really cool things that Lin Manuel Miranda did because first of all, he read Ron Chernow's biography of Hamilton. He's uh, given credit. He some down Ron, he's, he's Ron Chernow's given credit in right. that too. Can you imagine reading that. And, and he is a certified genius. We all know he won. He had a MacArthur grant, but he thought this might make a musical. <laughs> and, and originally it was a Hamilton mixtape and he brought his college buds who worked with, on, who worked in on the height, in the Heights together, Tommy Kale director, Alex Slackamore, the music director arrangements, and then Andy Blankenbuehler, who didn't go to college with them, but they worked with him on In the Heights. He was brought in for the choreography. And he they're just this group that's so in sync with each other and highlights their best gifts. And what they came up with for the staging of Hamilton is just brilliant. And I want to quote the New York Times when the New York Times said, yes, it is that good. Yes, it is that good. Well, that's because what you tell everybody. Everyone, when you, and when I reviewed it on the air in 2018, I said, yes, it lives up to the hype. Because everyone's like, well, you know, it's just like when someone tells you a lot. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I know. Just, but, but many shows are like that. They're overhyped. And you see it and you're like, okay, I don't get it. But my reaction of, I mean, what I was hearing from Hamilton in 2018 was it does live up to the hype, like you said. And then the other night, what I was hearing from people, Kevin Johnson said to me, he liked this one better than in 2018. And I think the more familiar you are with it, the more you you yeah. grab it and you know the characters. And you, you sure like when Eliza sings burn I think Wendy and Jennifer were just they were in you know like they didn't have any downtime like they just like it, you're off it just goes but Lin-Manuel Miranda took documents that Hamilton wrote including the Federalist Papers and took lyrics from those documents now granted he does use poetic license because max you and carl have talked about how the angelica part that right. inferred 
relationship didn't really happen. Thing. Yeah. No. I mean, they are buried next to one another. I mean, all, all three of them, but, but, and there was a, a close kinship there. Well, that's but more not... because they're sisters rather than they were having yes. a torrid love affair or a, exactly. a, an yeah. unrequited love. And, and I mean, Satisfied is probably the first song that really got me into this play. I mean, I think it's an incredible work Lie. of art and I, and I love how they rewind on the stage play uh, as well. But yeah, that's invented. That's, that's definitely a poetic dramatic license. But don't fine. you love how they, they take the orchestrations? Like Alex Lacamoire's a genius too. I mean, how they take the, the arrangements of the songs and they weave them through the other songs and they weave them through both acts you know well, what that, song that's a that's a broadway trick well and, yeah. and also with yeah, the actors but... i mean i love how the actors play different parts and how you know his young friend who was killed later on plays his son who spoiler alert is killed and i love how well, you know, you know lafayette as, as I is said... thomas jefferson and he even even talks crap about lafayette while he's jefferson i mean i love that the guy the yeah. person playing lafayette jefferson was so good my daughter said is is that was it, did david diggs come to st louis no he actually was very good yes he was great uh, and the only but that's, it's that, also a great part oh yeah well the only person in the cast from the broadway cast is neil haskell who plays king george in this show he's the only one from the broadway cast that's in the touring company and he's no jonathan goff yeah, i was gonna say yeah there's jonathan goff obviously Right. Well, yeah, and then Andrew Reynolds and uh, Brian Darcy James. When when Jonathan Goff couldn't Goff couldn't do it because he was filming something. I don't know. Frozen, what he was. maybe. Yeah, it could be Frozen too. Um, he had a they they replaced him, but yeah, the guy that. Uh, so this Neil Haskell is the is the only one, but uh, and he he was good too. Except that was another role that got the, the music was too hot on it, and so. That should be a fantastic number, and it was just good. Well, and he also played it a little more broad and for comedy, which, of course, it is a funny part. But Jonathan Goff really kind of had this venom behind his performance his as King George. Spit. Yeah, exactly. And so, but, you know, I, I don't mind that this touring troupe brought something different because everybody did. I mean, his Hamilton's uh, Hamilton was not the same as Lin-Manuel. His flow was different. Uh, the things that he emphasized was different. Uh, I thought the, the one that probably matched the most to the uh, original cast besides uh, Lafayette would have been uh, uh, Eliza. She was very close to Philippa yes. Sue and, and just, I think, the showstopper of the whole the whole uh show yeah she was really good stephanie j park uh she was yeah she was really good angelie angelica is no renee renee elise goldsbury and i well, think you know and, and and i actually texted to carl that the only thing that i was a bit let down with this production was was angelica and carl kind of defended her saying it might have been the mix that was the problem because the mix was so bad i, I had the great fortune of having renee uh, uh goldsberry on the maxim movie show uh, and i just i think i pulled a chris farley and just gushed the whole time about what a great <laughs> work of art hamilton is well she's going to be in st louis yes the sheldon she's, i think she's going to be at the sheldon a fundraiser but no she's just so i mean they're just those those uh, people that were in that opening cast now uh 
Christopher Jackson, who worked with Lin-Manuel Miranda on In the Heights, he is from, he was born in Metropolis, Illinois, and grew up in Cairo, Illinois. So he is a Southern Illinoisan. Ah, Max goes every year to I know. Christopher Jackson. To Metropolis. I can't wait. They got Tom Welling there this year. I really can't wait. Well, I just think what what are the songs like? I have not gotten those songs out of my head for days, and I uh, look back on the pr- progression of Hamilton. You know, first because I replayed Bill, and I remember people talking about this Hamilton at the public, and I was like, Hamilton, Lin Manuel Miranda's doing Hamilton, and it just kept growing and growing and growing, and then it transferred to Broadway. And then, of course, it had 16 Tony nominations, a record, and it only won 11 because there were multiple. Yeah, they were all they were competing against each other. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Right. The play was competing against itself. I, the songs that have stuck with me since seeing it live, I, I can speak for my wife here a little bit because it was also her first time seeing it. And wait for it was something that really connected for her seeing that live on stage, Aaron Burr's big moment. And uh, and she was wearing green, by the way, that night, in case people want to know what my wife was wearing. Um, <laughs> but but for me, I think I think the uh, uh, ooh, I, I think the last half of it, I mean, the first half has so many iconic songs and it feels like it has so much more bombast. But that second half, the tragedy, uh, the death, the second uh, act is depressing. It, the it second is, but... half of the second act is yes. just so down and i have to say i wasn't looking forward to the second half of the second act because of that and when you're watching it at home on disney plus it gets really morose and really sad because it's a sad story but seeing it live the actors really brought a, a vibrancy to it that i didn't mind and it also felt so short everything every song felt faster the delivery was and i think that's just because of the live setting yeah well the live you the the energy of the crowd and the performers feed off that energy. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm not sure if it was a sellout, but it's practically a sellout, but you can tell the vibe for Hamilton is different. And uh, people immediately stood up on their feet afterwards. And, you know, it's a very democratic uh, curtain call. Yes. You know, and they don't have the, the, the gimmick now where everybody sings a song at the, you know, happy leave. Well, like it's my- already two and a half hours. Yeah. Minus yeah. the. Yeah. That I did notice that though. they the don't have like the leads come out and bow and then the supporting people come out. About. They're all just like, OK, thank you. Good night. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's thunderous. It's just thunderous applause. And I just think anytime that you can bring young folk into history, they have this education uh, program Hamilton does with school kids. They have Eduham online. Uh, I want to bring up the lottery. If you think you can't afford Hamilton tickets, they have a $10 ticket lottery because lottery like every day. And now they you have to sign up starting 10 a.m. Friday, which today is Friday. And then uh, it closes next thursday at noon and they will draw the limited number of tickets per day from that batch and you'll be notified if you got it for the next week and so uh you and a guest are allowed to come non-transferable 
your name's got to be on the ID. If you resell the tickets, they are void. So what all you need to do is just go get the Hamilton app because it explains everything there to you. Right. Which is, which is an awesome thing because people get so excited that they, that they got the, you know, tickets. So they've been doing this since they were, when they moved to Broadway and they used to do the performances out on the street. And I went to one of those. Ah, I bet it was fun. It was cold because we went in November. (laughs) Oh, well, the, um, the, my favorite is when the three Kings, Jonathan Groff, Andrew Reynolds, and Brian Darcy James come out and do the Skylar Sisters song. Oh, <laughs> uh, that is on uh, YouTube. Anybody that needs to see anything about Hamilton, it's all on YouTube, including Andy Blankenbuehler, the choreographer, breaking down his choreography in two brilliant sec- sections that the Wall Street Journal filmed. So you also can get- a, a couple of years ago, and I, I think you can see this on the PBS app. There was something called I, I'm pretty sure the title was One Shot to Broadway, and it was some behind the scenes look at the making of Hamilton. And it actually has Leslie Odom Jr. and Lynn Manuel Miranda going to some of the locations uh, where these historical events happened. And there's a scene where they're trying to load muskets, and they're just like, "Boy, this is taking a long time. Like we could probably have sorted out all of our differences while we're trying to load uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, weapons. It, it's really great, and that's worth uh, finding on PBS. Oh so, wow. So anything anything Hamilton is available for anyone that wants to see it. Let's move on to another almost as I would say bigger worldwide phenomenon because Hamilton is huge, but a bigger worldwide phenomenon would be Harry Potter. And the wizarding world has had its issues and ups and downs in the world. And now we have the last movie was not good. And the fate of the Harry Potter universe is actually in jeopardy right now, just like every single one of the movies. So Lynn, I was telling Max this, you can hear it this weekend on Max on movies that I think just like the defense of the dark arts teacher, you should have a different Grindelwald for every single movie. No. Because that would be a nod to the def- defense of the dark arts. And I mean, nothing against Mads because he's really good in this, but I just think it would be interesting and kind of funny in a way. That would be, I thought he was very good. Although I'm, um, I'm done with this series. I you're breaking up with the fantastic beasts. Yes. The first one I thought was charming. The second one was, as you said, not good. This one to me is a slog. It's just too many characters, too many subplots. I did like that. Uh, Kowalski has a happy ending. I'm not going to say what. And I, but I, I'm just this whole growing, you know, the wizarding world that parallels the uh, fascism and Nazis from World War II. Uh, it's just, I was just like, I'm done. Yeah. You won't. Okay. You're telling me if, and that's right now, it's a big if. Um, because you know, because Lynn is a member of Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's hovering around fifty or sixty percent right now, which I don't understand. But this movie's critic proof. But we just need people to go see it. Warner Brothers has said they actually went out on the limb and said, "We'll see what is going to happen to the next two movies." 
which normally you don't do that. You don't show your cards like that, that they're effectively begging people to see it. I think uh, there's so many baggage issues with the cast and with uh, that's that's that doesn't matter that that it matters if this movie, if you're upset from the last one, this movie is a lot better than the last movie. Well, it's better, but I don't know if it's a lot <laughs> better. But I just think the material is very thin. And this there, takes there, place way before Harry and Ron and Hermione. No, not not way and, before. Sixty years before that took the the original Harry Potter books take place in the nineties, and the this takes place in the thirties. So it's really not that long, and you have. You have characters that you already know. And Max was telling me today that he is enjoying Jude Law as Dumbledore. Yeah, I, I guess I'll jump in. Good. I guess I'll jump in to disagree with my good friend Lynn Venhouse uh, and <laughs> just say that I found the third Fantastic Beast movie called uh, The Secrets of Dumbledore to be definitely worth watching. Uh, I want to see more from this franchise. They planned five movies. I would like to see all five. I do think that. Jude Law is really embracing the character of Albus Dumbledore, and I think it's kind of akin to what Ewan McGregor did with Alec Guinness. He's recreating this character for a new generation, and I think it's really working. It's just too bad that behind the scenes, there's so much strife, and I don't just mean with Johnny Depp and Ezra Miller and J.K. Rowling. I also mean with Warner Brothers themselves, and there's new bosses that have come in, and who knows what they're going to do. But I don't think that you can stop the Wizarding World right now. I think that beyond Harry Potter, it's a very popular thing with the theme parks and what have you. And Carl and I were saying earlier today on the Max and Movies recording that we did that possibly HBO Max might want to do a miniseries to finish out this uh, story instead of doing more theatrical uh, films, which I would be fine with just as long as we have Mads and Jude and whoever come out to finish uh, this story because – you mentioned, Lynn, that this gave Jacob Kowalski a happy ending. You're right. There's a lot of endings in this movie. And I feel like Warner Brothers said, maybe end it because we might not want to keep going. And I would find that unfortunate because I do like Newt's commander. I would have liked to have seen heck of a lot more of Catherine Waterston. So I hope the franchise continues. Well, it well, this was supposed to come out in 2020, and it didn't. And uh, meanwhile, um, all this controversy happened. And I, I agree. We've talked about this before. You separate that. And I used to try to just. The art from the artist. And right. right. But instead, the art, it's intruding on the Nile because uh, Max on your show today, you were giving away, you know, and you mentioned that like warning army hammers in this and i think now more and more is yep. intruding and cancel culture is still a thing but i do i did like the first one a lot it was charming it had whimsy i'm not sure if they're doing the whimsy reconciling with the darkness the dark wizard jazz and i think and I, and i'm not as into potter as you guys my kids were grown by the and um, I and I do enjoy them, but I think people would rather see the three main people and, uh, you know, like 
this one is getting less and less it's getting less charming it's getting more complicated um i couldn't remember too much from the second one i had to go refresh myself i had to read my reviews from the previous two to get my you know get in my right head frame because i was like i don't really really remember this much the animals are adorable the production design is well they've is gotten away from the animals this whole thing was fantastic beasts and there are very few fantastic beasts in this movie I don't know. I would counter that the the, the whole um, election scene hinges on a fantastic beast, and I think that that uh, you know what one of the the better set pieces with the giant scorpion monster. I, I I do think they're still keeping beasts involved with this, and I do get what Lynn is saying about how the movie is a bit more serious, a bit more dour. I was telling Carl this is kind of a political movie. It's definitely the most adult of all of the Harry Potter movies. This is the eleventh, by the way, movie in this series. The third, third in Fantastic Beasts, but eleventh overall. But I, I I would counter that I don't think it's strange for berlin in the wizarding world to have strife in the 1930s because it would have been weirder if they didn't given what was happening in our world uh but if i had to bet right now will this film series continue i would say no i don't think this is going to do very well at the box office and i think they're effectively going to kill it and we we also need to mention the fact that if you can't go into this film cold you as max just said it's the 11th film in this you need to you're not going to uh, the secrets of Dumbledore is not your jumping in point. You have to be invested in it. I mean, you can nine times out of 10, you can probably jump into any, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, not with still semblance of what's going on. This one, you have to have the deep uh, appreciation of this entire world that she has built. And I think this is one of the better ones because Steve Cloves has come back to the fold and JK Joe is not writing the scripts alone anymore because that was the thing about fantastic piece. And that's what I said. And yeah. my original review was that Joe Rowling needs someone to edit her because she, she, that, that was her first screenplay and Steve Cloves has come back and he is supposed to do the next two. If there are a next two. And, you know, I don't mind this being for the fans and being really steeped in all of the lore because I, I'm one of those fans. So I appreciate all these little nods here and there, but that means it might not be as widely accepted. And I, I just I really don't know how it's going to go uh, now that it's released in theaters. When I saw it last night, I was at a late showing and there were a bunch of kids there. And I think the kids were kind of bored because there's not a lot of action. It's a lot of exposition. It's a lot of talking. And I, again, I don't and mind that. Political. I think the story is intriguing. Yeah, it's a political movie. But I think for kids who want, you know, a lot of wand action, they're not going to get that. And, no. And that, that also, you know, that argument was made about how, as Harry grew older, that they that, that they got more adult themes. That is also happening with this because it's a formula that works well. As the kids well, grow up, they get more adult themes. And as this goes on, it's going to end in a, you know, it's, yeah, we yes. already know how this ends. And it ends, it ends with a, a horrible massacre. Now, I, I want to ask Lynn and Carl, um, if someone is a giant Catherine Waterston fan, should they go see this movie? <laughs> she, no, because she's, because she's an afterthought. I didn't like that. I thought, why are they not? using her more and i didn't understand and i figured you guys would know why 
we can't figure it out. And I guarantee there are going to be like Vulture or Entertainment Weekly or Variety or Hollywood Reporter or something like that is going to have even a comic book resource. They're going to or the Mary Sue. There will be an article. Where was Catherine Waterston? There will yeah, be an it, article it, and we will it, learn this weekend. But it makes it no been- sense. I think we're going to see some YouTube deep dives on this. It's a complete betrayal. Uh, narratively speaking, it doesn't serve the story, her character. It was the biggest disappointment for me because as a film, it makes no sense. It, it's, it's a disservice to her. And I just, I can't figure it out. Carl and I were trying to figure out today, why did they do that to one of the main characters? It would be like all of a sudden, guess what? Ron Weasley is not here. It, it made no sense. Well, it was very weird that they just brought her, you know, at the at so long, and and those of us who aren't as schooled in it, uh, we were just like, mm, this isn't working for us. And, well, and uh, also, also, I'm guessing if it was written this way, I, the Jessica Williams character would be where she would have shown up, and I liked her. I thought she was great. But I also would have liked had that been Tina Goldstein instead. It would have actually fit with the last two movies. So the fact that they just put that character to the side made no sense to me, especially because she's one of my favorite parts of the new Harry Potter films. But I guess in conclusion, I'll just say that uh, I did enjoy this movie and I, I hope we get more. But sadly, I don't think we will. I want more. All right, Max, you're the one that you got to see Sonic. What did Boy, you we think? are just moving forward with all the cultural icons. I mean, Harry Potter, Mega. Hamilton, and Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog surprised everyone right before the pandemic uh, by being a, a video game movie that wasn't awful. And of course, it's a really low bar because most video game <laughs> movies are awful. Uh, there's been probably about 30 or 40 video game movies, and about two of them have been good. So when Sonic the Hedgehog came out, I don't think anybody expected anything. And it's not that it was Citizen Kane, but it was a it was a decent kids film. I took my son Oscar. He had a ball with it. And he had played Sonic the Hedgehog with me, of course, so he knew the character. There were a lot of Easter eggs for video game fans. And Jim Carrey was having a whole lot of fun. And Jim Carrey kind of hasn't let himself have fun on screen in a long time. So I think people like that. And it was one of the last things that was released right before the entire world shut down. So much so that a lot of film critics were joking, wow, is Sonic the Hedgehog going to win everything at the Oscars because nothing else will be released? And of course, that didn't happen. We went to streaming and, and what have you. But the first movie that I took Oscar to see now that the pandemic is you know getting better i don't want to say over but i mean you know it's, it's an endemic lot, now yeah exactly it's a lot safer now so i took him to see sonic the hedgehog 2 and in every respect this is bigger than that first movie they take everything that worked in that first movie and ratchet it up to a 11 so jim carrey i don't even think they gave him a script i think he's improvising everything and he's having a ball doing it and uh, idris elba is a character named knuckles he's very much a uh Drax the Destroyer or Anya from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where he's very literal and he doesn't understand colloquialisms and sarcasm, but but he's a, he's a really fun character. And then the young lady who has voiced Tails in the video games for a very long time actually reprises her role here on the big screen. And that's great because they never do that. They never take voice actors no. you know, and actually give them these roles. So that was a huge victory uh, for the Sonic fans as well. I think the second one is even better than the first one because the jokes are not as forced. They definitely seem a lot more confident. 
And again, just watching it through my 11 year old's eyes, he, he was witnessing this giant video game spectacle. He loved it. And uh, they tease a third one and he's already on board. He's like, let's see that third one. So I think if you have kids who enjoy video games, especially, then this is a great family film to see right now. And also, uh -huh. you know, the fact that uh, James Marston is playing the James Marston role because that's that he is so good at doing that because he has done it in many, many films. Yes, my wife and I are charter members of the James Marsden fan club. We think that he is a very talented actor who has never really had his own gigantic breakout part. He, he's a but great he, he's been, and role. He's been in big, big movies. Yes. Yes, he's been in gigantic movies, and he's always he's always great in in, in 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 everything. But he's never had that one big breakout role, and so the fact that he's back in Sonic Two, we're all just happy for him, basically. I mean, uh -huh. I, I still watch uh, Hop every Easter because, <laughs> and and you know that's not, and I don't know why we do that because there are much better Easter movies. But <laughs> well, because there's not a lot of Easter movies, I guess. But no, no I mean, if Rise of the Guardians. So uh, Superman Returns, uh, Enchanted. I mean, he's just great and everything. Where uh, can you find Hop, Carl? Uh, we we have it on the the uh, DVD. That's where we. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you go to JustWatch.com, you right. can find. Well, yes. I... once again, here's our public service announcement: JustWatch.com is where yeah. you can find all of the things. Well, and in the last five or six years, I have converted most of my movie library to a digital library, and you can use different, what they call digital lockers uh, to watch your films. You can do mo movies anywhere or iTunes or Vudu, and I, I use a collection of those, but Vudu is my main one, and they always do specials every weekend, and they will do bundles, so they do like an illumination bundle and that's where you can find hop for really cheap or secret life of pets or minions and so if you like your movies digitally you can get hop for a couple of bucks oh wow well i'm the only one that saw father stew am i oh okay now lynn you've been teasing this for two weeks saying oh you think this movie is what it is it is and then you then you stop from saying Yes, it is what it is, or no, it's not what it is. Finally, tell us what you think about Father Stu. It's a real-life inspirational, faith-based drama. You're not I don't want to knock that because way. faith is everybody. Not knocking faith, believe me. But it is very heavy-handed in its execution. It was written and directed by Rosalind Ross. If that name isn't familiar to you. It is not. Been partners with Mel Gibson. They share a child uh, since 2014. And we all know, speaking of baggage, we all know <laughs> what happened to Mel's uh, superstardom career. And uh, he has had very few roles he did direct hexaw ridge that's probably the most high profile uh he and mark Wahlberg did a movie together called daddy's home 2 where they played father and son i did not see that did you guys no i didn't see the first one i didn't want no, the to. last mel gibson yeah. movie that i saw was edge of darkness and after i reviewed that one i said that's a dumb dumb yeah well uh, both mark Wahlberg and mel gibson are Catholics. Now, Mark is, um, 
he had, uh, they both have had uh, or need some redemption. Let's put it like that. Like Mark had a very violent past as a juvenile hooligan. Um, I believe he even did some time. And he uh, has had this remarkable turnaround in his life. And uh, he was so inspired by Father Stuart Long's story that he financed this film himself. And he brought along Mel Gibson to play this thoroughly odious character, Bill Long, the dad of Stuart Long. He's estranged, he's a deadbeat alcoholic dad. He's verbally abusive. He's just awful. He and Jackie Weaver play the mother and father of Stuart Long. And he's a boxer in his 30s, but he's delusional. He thinks he's still going to be a good boxer. But he lands on this, hey, I'll become an actor and move to Hollywood. So he does that. And he's working at a, a grocery store butcher counter when he spies this beautiful Hispanic woman and he somehow figures out the way to her heart is to go to her church. So he shows up at this mass and he's, he's just obnoxious. He's just, he's uh, just one of these guys that that you're just like who is this guy because he's brash he says uh, wrong things he's he uh isn't necessarily uh upstanding citizen and he starts having a spiritual conversion that was spurred by this horrific motorcycle accident that he had and she helps nurse him back and they become boyfriend and girlfriend and all of a sudden one day he says I'm going to become a priest, which shocks everybody. Uh, they really wonder what what's going on. And guess who's the, the main priest that has to get permission to get into the seminary with Malcolm McDowell. Wow. Malcolm McDowell is the, the head priest. So he's going to seminary school. Everybody thinks he's a joke because he was this tough guy, you know, this tough talking, tough guy. And um, he suddenly is discovered to have this debilitating neurological or muscle disease. And there's it's a long name and that will eventually kill him at age 50. But he goes ahead and becomes a priest and consoles tons of people through his short lifetime. So that's the real story. Obviously, the guy lived a life that is tailor-made for a movie. It's hard to believe, but there's an earnestness to this because Mark Wahlberg's all in. Mel Gibson's actually pretty good in this. Well, but he's still a good actor. Yeah. And and Jackie Weaver's fine. And the girl who plays Carmen Teresa Ruiz is 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 good. So it's for spiritual, the whole audience was packed with church people. And I'm not gonna knock church people uh, for what they believe and how they view it. And so it is gonna be one of those very inspiring stories. I don't think it's gonna have much audience past the faith-based crowd. But, but it is what it is. It, and, and a lot of these faith-based movies used to be just jokes and laughable, and some of them still are. But, you know, this, an American underdog, 
can show that they're not just they can make good movies if they want to yeah and i would also think that this one has a lot more crowd-pleasing potential than your standard faith-based movie that would maybe have you know a television actor and play in three screens i mean this is a mark Wahlberg, mel gibson movie wide release i think the people who maybe wouldn't consider themselves faith-based audience would go see this movie yeah i think it's a crowd pleaser i think it's wide released by sony pictures but it's very one note it's like something you would see on a christian network like a lifetime movie but a lot of people like those things so um but it is it's can you hear me now yes okay but i think max is right it's got it's got bigger stars it's got a bigger production note to it. Um, maybe the redemption tale is evergreen, especially when you have people who've had their share of real life experiences. But you also this. gave the ending of the movie away that <laughs> that he dies. Yeah, but everybody, if you know the story of this father long, they, he, you know, you know, I didn't know, but that's okay because I don't see any scenario where I would watch that movie. True. Right. Right. And it's a true story. The guy um, grew up in Montana. Uh, Matt Myers, the allied of PR rep, they had the world premiere in Montana. Which is something you don't hear every day. No, where this guy's from and they had all these people that knew him at the oh. at the premiere so it is it's an inspiring tale you know it's really hard to believe like you're like oh this is but it really happened well um then you said that there was another movie out this weekend that i had no idea what it is or what it is uh a line or yes -line. i don't know what it is okay this is the musical drama oh based on celine dion oh that's right this is the celine dion movie that is not authorized or mentions Celine Dion. Right. And it started today at Plaza Frontenac. I do have the link. I have been far too busy <laughs> to watch it. <laughs> oh, so I plan on watching it this weekend. It is a, it's a fictional version of Celine Dion's live unauthorized. So yeah. And, and Celine is very protective of her brand. So I'm surprised that this movie came out at all. Right. There's an older guy that takes uh, her under his wing and she skyrockets to global fame. Uh-huh. I'm sorry I didn't see it. Right, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, they they offered it to us and I don't think many people took them up on it. And then um, and then they reminded everybody and I said, sure, I'll watch it. But <laughs> I didn't get it till Wednesday and that was Hamilton. And then. <sighs> You know, well, Lynn, tell everybody what you're going to be doing at Buddha Library on Monday afternoon. <gasps> That's right. I will be talking about singing in the rain, which seems to be perfect for April showers. <laughs> uh, one of the great musical movies of all time. And it's just going to be fun diving into old Hollywood. The, the transition of the sound silent movie era to the talkies with Gene Kelly donald o'connor debbie reynolds it's gonna be awesome and it's 1 30 at booter um I, if you got time the pan uh, you know we can all gather now 
So I encourage everybody. So that'll be fun. And then I'll be back May 2nd to do Rebel Without a Cause. Nice. Well, so, I, I used to be able to do a Gilbert Gottfried imitation. And I, I have not even done that in many years. And I don't want to do it now because it always hurt my voice to do it. But I was pretty good at it. And he has been ill for a long time and every i've met him several times and he was always very quiet except when the microphones were on and uh -huh. i and he was still very funny and the aristocrats movie is also amazing so yeah, I, I will miss the opportunity to meet him a couple of times in studio he would come to st louis and come to the radio studio and the most gracious kind man i'm pretty Gentle. sure he signed a copy of aladdin for me he did he, he signed my he, he signed it yeah he said yeah he like signed it carl uh this is iago shut up or something like that yeah yeah but um but i was also uh, the morning that i heard that he passed away uh i was went down a, a youtube hole just watching some of his performances and and uh, roasts and there was this wonderful super cut of him on Hollywood squares where he would give a ridiculous answer. And when the, so that they would, would get it right. Yeah. But then when, when they would agree with him, which was, you fool. yes, he would say you fool. And I was crying laughing. He was just <laughs> such, such a funny man. So funny. And he was just golden on the late night talk shows and they would put him in skits and he just had fun playing along. I think they did a, a spoof of Sex in the City where he was the he was the love interest. It was oh, like they were all talking about how they were going to get back together, and then he was like the love interest. But yeah, everybody says how kind and gracious he was. Well, and they also had I think it was on Conan O'Brien. They had him read passages from Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> <laughs> and on uh, on uh, John Oliver last week tonight. They always said that no one knew what Jared Kushner sound like. And so they had Gilbert be Jared Kushner. And and then John <laughs> Oliver would say, we, we're not wrong. He's never interviewed anywhere. Oh, but yeah, he loved it. He loved to just mock himself and and just uh, just have fun with his persona. That's what I thought was so brilliant of him. But very sad. He has two young children. And uh, there's a picture of him floating in the Twitterverse of Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, and Gilbert Godfrey. Yes. And don't look at the picture. Enjoy the picture. Do not read the comments. Oh. Because people are not nice. People are not nice. And I don't usually read the comments because you just start your blood. Well, my blood pressure starts raising. People are nice to us, though. People love Pop Life STL. People love Lynn Venhouse, Carl Dancer Middleman, Max Boise. People love us. Max, where can they find you? At, oh, at well, they can find me at ktrs.com slash maxonmovies. I'm also on Twitter at maxonmovies. And this weekend on the show, my special guest is Carl the Intermiddleman talking about the what? secrets of Dumbledore. Also, Kathleen Robertson talking about swimming with sharks. And next week on the show, Lucy Boynton. I'm very mm. excited about that conversation. Well, that's that's very exciting, too. We are going to have next week, Carl, we're having Chris Clark from the Cinema St. Louis and he'll preview Hugh Fest for us. Mm -hmm. And I do want to mention uh, uh, we lost a dear colleague 
and a personal friend of mine, Ann Lemons Pollock, who uh, is best known as Joe Pollock's widow, but she was so much more than that. She wrote about food, she wrote about theater. She was in the, we broke the news the other day that was so great. She was a nurse. Yes. And then when she married Joe, when they started uh, going all over traveling and writing about food, she developed a great writing style. She cut to the chase. She was one of the most down to earth people. I just love talking to her because she always had so many stories and she had been, she, she was very family centered and she would always talk about, uh, Joe's uh, grandson is is uh, the only one doing film. You know, she would always keep me posted about what we did because we did name that uh, one award at our our St. Louis International Film Festival for Joe Pollock from the St. Louis Film Critics. And I don't know if you guys remember, but when Joe was still alive and he would come to our December meeting, she would accompany him. And they would bring wine and uh, she would be knitting or crocheting while we debated movies. Do you remember that? I remember the wine. Yeah. And <laughs> also uh, just last year um, on the Julie Buck and John Carney show, of which I appear on every day at KTRS, we had her in studio just last year uh, talking about one of her books. And she, talking she, about just, food and, she just wrote yeah. a great article about Rich LaRusso. Yes. When Rich passed and yes. then and then she had a fall at the house and things just went bad fast. I know I saw her last Friday beforehand to God at St. Louis Actor Studio, which is Avenue Q meets Book of Mormon. And it's very, you know, it's filthy puppets in a church setting. So go figure. Mm -hmm. And she and I were just having a great blast from the past talking about things. And then I find out Wednesday that she died of a fall. I didn't see her in Hamilton, but that didn't mean anything because I didn't see you guys and I was looking. And mm -hmm. so uh, we, were. we're just all stunned and shocked. She was 76, but she didn't act it. And Carl, you and I had her on the podcast to talk about the lost restaurants of St. Louis and the iconic yes. restaurant St. Louis. Yes, you can and go back and find that on the Pop Life STL. Lynn, where can we find you besides Pop Life STL? I am on KTRS every Thursday night after the 10 p.m. news with Ray Hartman, uh, St. Louis in the know. I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times on Fridays and online, I guess, the night before. And then we're here with our podcast and uh, we do not have anything to do with Beetle Bob. FYI. No, no we don't. And, and our website, which is going through a great upgrade right now. So well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Carl, the intern and on the Mark Cox morning show and second amendment radio and the great outdoors on KMOX. Thank you everybody. Bye Thanks, Max. Thanks. Take care. Happy Easter and happy Passover. Happy Easter.